So we are in Leviticus 25, and we are almost done. We are nearing the end. We're covering the whole chapter. There's 27 chapters. I think we have two more weeks after this in Leviticus. Uh, It's a little bit longer of a chapter, so get comfortable. Get your Bibles open. We're going to read 55 verses, and uh, it's on the year of Jubilee, which is pretty cool. If you're in the back talking, it'd be a really good time to sit down. (laughs) Just messing with Ali. Anyway, that's Allie Nixon. It's fun to mess with her. Sorry for if you thought I was rude. Um, all right, Leviticus 25. Let's do this. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, which side note, this is cool. He used to be speaking to him in the, t- in the tabernacle. He goes up on the mountain, and now this is what God's saying. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide for you and for yourself and for your male servants, your male and female slaves and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land, all its yield shall be for food. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then... You shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout your land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it, you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the jubilee. And he shall sell to you according to the number of years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price. If the years are few, you shall reduce the price. For it is the number of crops that he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. Some math for you guys. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. 
And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it and then return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he has sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee, it shall be released and he shall return to his property. If a man sells a dwelling in a house in a walled city, he may redeem it within a year. For a full year, he shall have the right of redemption. If it is not redeemed within a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong in perpetuity to the buyer throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the Jubilee. But the houses of the villages that have no wall around them shall be classified with the fields of the land. They may be redeemed and they shall be released in the Jubilee. As for the cities of the Levites... Remember, they lived in their own cities. The Levites may redeem at any time the houses in the cities they possess. And if one of the Levites exercises his right of redemption, then the house that was sold in a city they possess shall be, re- shall be released in the Jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possession among the people of Israel. But the fields of the pasture land belonging to their cities may not be sold, for that is their possession forever. If your brother becomes poor, and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If your brother becomes poor besides you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve you as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but you shall fear your God. As for your male and female slaves whom you have, you may, you may buy male and female slaves from among the nations that are around you. You may also buy from among the strangers who sojourn with you and their clans that are with you who, their, who have been born in your land and they may be your property. You may bequeath them to your sons after you to inherit as a possession forever. You may make slaves of them, but over your brothers, the people of Israel, you shall not rule one over another ruthlessly." If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. Or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. He shall calculate with his buyer from the year when he sold himself to the year until the year of Jubilee. And then the price of his sale shall vary with the number of years. 
The time he was with his owner shall be rated as a time as a hired worker. If there are still many years left, he shall pay proportionately for his redemption some of his sale price. If there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, he shall calculate and pay for his redemption in proportion to his years of service. He shall treat him as a worker hired year by year. He shall not rule ruthlessly over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. It's the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Man, just thank you for the Bible. God, thank you for, for this chapter of Leviticus. Thank you that it, it points us to Jesus. God, right now, I just ask that you would, you just help us together just to, to look at your word and think about what it means for our life. Spirit, would you convict us? Would you encourage us? Above all, would you just help us to worship you after this stuff? God, would you glorify Jesus in our midst right now? We love you. We thank you. You are a God of jubilee that brings release and captive and, and release of captivity to the slaves like us. We were slaves and you came and rescued us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I think it's interesting. God designed your body, even before the fall, to like seek uh, like relief, like release. So he made us to need like food, right? Like he, you are designed to be depleted and then be filled. Like when you uh, are outside and you're hot and sweaty, it just feels so good to like jump in the ocean or something, like to just wash yourself and be released. When I was a little kid, uh, me and my friend, we were like in fourth grade, we were super into rollerblades and we were like, this is our thing. We would rollerblade three miles. I lived like on a, in a valley. So like three miles straight down to McDonald's and we would eat McDonald's and we would just sit there until like we didn't hurt anymore. And then we would rollerblade three miles up like to my house again. Just picture doing that. Like eat McDonald's and then go three miles up a hill. And we were so sweaty and so nasty. And it was honestly our favorite thing to just like jump in the pool. And it was just like, oh, that was so worth it, right? Like if you guys have ever been homesick or away from home, just the feeling of like, oh, I just, I just want to be home again. I just want relief. Uh, if you guys have ever had a difficult conversation, like if you've ever been busted by your boss or something, and it's just like, oh my gosh, when can this conversation end? We just like desire relief. Uh, for, maybe, for, for me, uh, I have a sh very short attention span. So the SATs were like, not too hard. The hardest part for me was it was five hours. I was like, I, I couldn't make it. And I literally fell asleep during the SATs. Like the most important tests of my life, I was like, I just can't go on. Like we just have this desire for relief. And this, this chapter, this story was designed by God to bring like relief, to bring ultimate relief. Okay, debts were relieved, land was returned, relieved to its original owner. Slaves, a slave was set free. The land itself was relieved from like working. Like the land didn't have to be tilled. Farmers didn't have to go plowing. Like it was this year of relief 
That's like this picture of jubilee. Uh, the word jubilee is yobel, something like that. In Hebrew, I don't know how you would say that. And it literally means ram horn. So remember when we talked about Day of Atonement, it would start with the, the what was the other name for it, Vince? The uh, shofar. Yeah, it's that. It's this ram's horn that they would blow. Um, they named Jubilee after that horn. It just means the horn because when this horn was blown, it would start the year of Jubilee. And and it happens, you guys, if you picked up on that. So Sabbath, we are, are designed to rest one in every seven days. But then God was like, okay, but then every seven years, take a whole year off and the land is gonna rest. And then every seven of those sevens, so 49 years, I want you to take a whole year and that's the year of Jubilee, okay? So we have have four points on us on what does the year of Jubilee mean for us? What, What is God's teaching us? What does it mean here? And the first one is this. The year of Jubilee, Jubilee begins with the most important debt being forgiven, okay? It starts the foundation of Jubilee is the forgiveness of the most important debt, and that's our debt to God because of our sin. That's like what initiates the year of Jubilee. It began with the Day of Atonement. So when we think of the year of, of, uh, or the year of Jubilee, you maybe have heard of it before, we tend to think of like, oh, it's cool, slavery and debts and land, and like, that's awesome. But what started the whole thing was the Day of Atonement, okay? And listen, this is, this is literally the foundation, there's a, a more, you have a more significant debt than your student loans or your credit card bill. It's your spiritual debt to God. It's like a real significant debt. Uh, slavery, we, you are spiritually, we were born slaves to sin. Like that's more significant. Slaves to sin, slaves to death, slaves to the devil. Uh, spiritually, like this, this was good news to the poor, you guys, we were born spiritually poor. Like we, we have nothing that we can on our own offer up to God. Like, God, look at what I've done for you. Look what I've earned before you. We are actually spiritually poor. And God says, I want you to know that this whole thing starts on the spiritual foundation. You, I, wanna, I want you to know I'm gonna forgive your spiritual debt. I'm gonna set you free from slavery to sin. I want you to know that though you are poor spiritually, I'm gonna lavish my love and grace on you. And I'm just going to cut to the chase. This, this chapter right here was how Jesus started his entire ministry. He says, this is what I'm all about. And it, you maybe know that in Luke 4, I'm going to read you two verses. This is what Jesus did. The first thing he did when he started his public ministry, he goes into his hometown. He's like, all right, I'm going to read the scroll. He opens the scroll up and this is what it says. Then Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he entered the synagogue of the Sabbath. And when he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." That's the year of Jubilee. Jesus is saying, this is like what I came to do. This is, in some sense, my mission statement. And you guys, this, the foundation of it all is the spiritual debt and slavery and poverty that Jesus came to release us from. Now listen, this is really important. 
jubilee and justice and social justice and caring for the poor and relieving people of the debt, like all of these things that we love has to start on the spiritual level. It has to start with Jesus forgiving you and me of our sin. Because uh, our, our generation, we're more than any other one. We care about the poor. We care about the planet. We care about, you know, social justice. That's awesome. We should. Uh, but maybe more than any generation, we miss like the foundation of it all. The most significant foundation is that we are spiritually poor and we have a spiritual debt and we are spiritually enslaved. And if all we are about is going out into the world to like set captives free and like free, like end slavery and end sex trafficking and like be about the planet and we forget about the foundation that's Jesus forgiving us of our sin, like we will have wasted our life doing that. Social justice is an an incredibly important thing, but it's always built on this starting point on what Jesus has done for us. You guys, forgiveness of sins always comes before social justice. Forgiveness of sins comes before. And, And everything else that comes is built on that foundation of what Jesus has done. And listen, this is what's important. We don't, we don't justify ourselves through like our social action for Jesus. Like we, we don't. And you know what's crazy is we kind of think we do. Like whenever we, like literally today, I literally gave a homeless person a cup of water. That was all I did. I gave them a cup of water and I just felt like so good about myself. Like I just gave her some water. And I like in my soul was like my justification with God just went up just a little bit. We, we think that the more we're about the things of Jesus, that makes us more righteous. And, and that is not true. That is not true. And that was honestly where I lived in like my first three years of college. I lived there. I thought that God would love me more the more I was about the things of the year of Jubilee. I thought he would love me more. And I, and I also tried to earn like people's approval through being awesome and being like Jesus. And honestly, it was terrible fuel. People like never liked me enough for it. And I never had this sense of like God loving me because of it. Uh, not, and this is, this is hard, not until I understood that I was wicked and a sinner and my, my, all of my good deeds were filthy rags before the Lord. Not until I understood that gnarly truth that I am so bad that God had to die for me. Not until then was I actually like free to go be about the things of Jesus. And, and the fuel was like, Jesus, you loved me and forgave me freely. I am so stoked to be generous with the world. Rather than, man, am I doing enough? Am I righteous enough? Have I given enough money to the homeless and to the poor? Like that will burn you out. And if your foundation for being like Jesus is anything other than I'm a sinner and Jesus died for me, like you will burn out. The, the gospel that I'm a sinner is the, always has to come first and be the cornerstone and the foundation for all of our social justice. It's significant. God says the first thing we do in the year of Jubilee is celebrate the day of atonement. When we remember that I came to forgive my people of their sin. So, that's point number one. Jubilee starts with the forgiveness of sins. And because Jubilee starts with that as, as the foundation, then 
it has implications in the world. Like you could think of it like the year year of Jubilee started like on a vertical sense, like me and God. Now that Jubilee has started that way for the whole year, it now has like horizontal implications. Like that's gonna affect how I look at everything in the world. Every person, literally the plants, the planet, everybody, the poor, like it's gonna affect everything else. So there's, there's three implications in the year of Jubilee. And the first one was slaves, okay? Um, do you know on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, if you guys know what that is, are the words of Leviticus 25 verse 10, to proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Nice, probably King James version there. But that's on the Liberty Bell, the year of Jubilee. Um, the year of Jubilee began with like, it was as if like the civil war ended and all the slaves were free. That's like the first thing that happened. After, after all your sins in the day of atonement, if you were a slave, like you were free. And listen, how hypocritical if you were like, okay, man, we were slaves in Egypt and God set us free. And then God just forgave me of my spiritual slavery. But like, I want my slave to like make me dinner still today. Like how crazy would that be? God's like, I'm, I'm ending that. Every 50 years, I'm saying no more. There are no more slaves. Um, this is obvious, but just to say it, when Christians used the Bible to justify slavery, like they were just wicked and wrong. They just were. It's like the Bible has always been the thing that has led towards freedom from slavery in the world. Like what emancipated slavery in the British Empire was a Christian, William Wilberforce, from this book because he knew that God created all people equal. Same thing in America. It was this book. It was Christians. It was the principles that were found in the Bible. Um, Obviously, we're wicked people and we can try and twist God's words for our purposes, which people did that at the time, but that's that's just wrong. Um, So I want to clarify too, when we think of slavery in the Old Testament, like when you read this, you're like, you maybe were like, wait, so you can have slaves? Like you can buy the slaves? What does that even mean? Uh, when we think of slavery, we think of like the African slave trade, which makes sense because that's what we have ex- we've learned about. This wasn't the African slave trade. This wasn't like the Israelites running into like the Gentiles and like taking them from their home and like you have to serve me now in chains. That's not what it was. Slavery back then was actually a form of mercy because this is, this is what happened. You would, you would owe someone a debt, right? Like a big debt, one you couldn't pay. And uh, you had an option though. Your life could be ruined or you could literally just pay it off to this person through your labor. So you would, would go poor. Let's say your crop failed and you couldn't pay your debts. You would you sell yourself and your family into and live with whoever this person was and you would work for them. But like you would be treated humanely. You were free. Like you weren't like in chains. So slavery was even in itself in this cultural, it was it, in this cultural time, it was not the African slave trade, just note to self. But still God says, I want it to end. I want slavery to end. And so, you know, that's what God did in, ex- in the Exodus. I'm ending slavery. And every 50 years, I'm ending slavery. I want my people, because slavery was so common in that culture. I want every 50 years, just imagine, here's all my slaves. I'm letting them go. Like the world would be like, what are you doing? God was like, I want the world to notice that, that the God of the Israelites is about liberation and freedom and setting captives free. The second thing, was about the land, um, kind of in two senses, but in, in this sense, God was like, I want the land, all the crops to literally just lay there for a year. 
Like no farming, no sowing, no pruning, nothing. Like, and you're, that was like what they were, that was the center of their life was farming. That's like how you survive. That was like what they did. Um, and God says, you're not supposed to touch it. And your animals who used to have to like plow, they're doing nothing all year. And it was this sense of rest for the land and for the animals and for the farmers and literally like for the plants. Uh, you know what's crazy though is, so the year before, seven times seven, the year 49 would have been a jubilee year. And then year 50, or not a jubilee year, a Sabbath year, then year 50 was a jubilee year. So do you know what that means? Two years in a row, when the year of Jubilee happened, it was two years in a row of no farming. So like, if you're like me and you're like a planner and you like want to have your stuff together for the future and just waiting a year and not working and trusting that God was going to provide for you. And then another year, you guys, the year of Jubilee would actually require so much trust and faith that God's going to provide for you because you would have to go two years and not work and just hope that it rained and hope that your trees and plants gave you food. Like it would require so much trust. And, and but here's the other thing. It's also God saying, I care about like my world. I care about the planet I made. I care about it. I actually care about like the soil in the ground. And I want you to think about that too. I care about the plants. I care about the animals that you use. God loves his creation. And as Christians, guess what? we, more than anyone else, should be about taking care of this planet. Like, we, we should. We know the creator. We know where it came from. We were given the commandment in the garden, like, hey, take care of my land. Like, subdue it. Have dominion over it. Provide for it. Like, uh, what's the word for it? What's the word? Cultivate it. Cult, like, take care of it. Make it better. Uh, a classic one, if you guys read, like, First Peter, you're like, yeah, but isn't the earth, like, going to be destroyed with fire? Like, aren't we kind of just like rearranging the uh, furniture on the Titanic? Maybe, but listen, God says, I want you to take care of it. I want the Titanic to look nice until it sinks. I, and a Christians more than anyone else are gonna be like taking care of it. How ridiculous to be like, um, no, you know what? I'm gonna die one day. So I'm just gonna treat myself like crap all 80 years because eventually I'm gonna die. Christians, we should be about caring for God's creation. We know a new earth is coming, but right now we care about creation. Like we should, we should be informed about that and caring about that. And it's especially, how crazy is this? Our culture right now where we live, they care about creation. How silly for us to be like the anti-caring about creation people. And the world is caring about God's creation more than us. Like that's, that's nonsense. If you're like really conservative politically, that just has to change. You have to care about creation. You can still be conservative politically, but... If you're a Christian, you got to take care of like the earth. The third thing, so slaves, land, and then the third one was debts, okay? God says, I, I care about relieving debts. Uh, okay, let's have an honest moment. If, you, if, if you've ever been in debt, will you just raise your hand real quick? I'll, I'll raise my hand. Yeah, see, look, pretty much all of us have been in debt. Uh, debt sucks. Debt is like slavery. You are like, in, you are a slave to whoever you owe money to. Um, when I was 16 years old, I've told this story before, I crashed my truck into a telephone pole and uh, there's $6,000 to fix my truck and $18,000 to fix the cement pole. Um, and my dad was like, yeah, you're going to pay for that. My dad was literally like, yep, that's this is what you're going to do. Uh, I obviously insurance paid for the pole, but my dad was like, you're paying for the amount of the insurance and I want you to pay for the repairs on your truck. So I worked for like nine months 
just worked my butt off in high school and just never saw a dollar. Like, I was a slave. That's how I felt. Like, slavery is the worst thing. Or debt, being in debt is the worst. Uh, This is just a cool story. I just want to testify to this. Kind of personal. Um, When my wife and I got married, we had so much student loan debt. You guys, it was it was disgusting. It was like just under $80,000. And we were going to live in Santa Barbara and have two, we, we had three minimum wage jobs living in Santa Barbara with like $80,000 of debt. Like it was like, why are we here? God, we knew God called us here. And uh, it was, it was unbelievable. What, like the amount of debt and it felt crushing and um, some of our family was like, do you know what? We'll pay off your debt, but you pay us back. That way you don't have to pay. Like we worked out, our payment would have been like, it would have been more than double after the 19 years it would have taken us to pay it off, literally. So we've been paying back our student loans through our family for like six years. And we've paid off like about half. And then literally this last Easter, our family's like, hey, we were like literally as we we're celebrating Easter and God was, we're learning about like paid in full we want you to know like you don't have to pay the rest of your debt like we're paying it off. So that like was like two weeks ago and our, my wife is just like sobbing on the phone when we're talking and just this feeling of like, oh my gosh, I was gonna be paying that off for the rest of my life. Just an amazing feeling to be freed of debt is an awesome thing. Um, and you guys, there are people who are literally in, in this world like perpetually financially in debt. Like they will be in debt for the rest of their life. And this is what God is saying. I want you to be about caring for the poor and I want you to be people who, remember he was like, if I don't want you to take interest from each other. I I want you to care for the poor. And the year of Jubilee was God saying, I care about the poor. I care about them. And here's what's interesting. When you forgive someone of the debt, like when when this person got themselves in debt, typically like they deserve to be in debt. Typically like, you, d- you made some foolish decisions and now you're in debt. So when someone's forgiven of debt, it's not like they deserved it, right? Like you deserve to be in debt. That's like you got yourself there, but this is God's heart. He says, you deserve to be in debt and I'm gonna forgive you anyways. And that's God's heart for the poor. For like us, when we look at the poor, we are first, especially as Americans can often think, man, like they deserve it. Like they're not working. They're on welfare. They're taking money from like my work, like they honestly don't deserve to be cared for. And God says, you may be right and I want you to care for them. That's my heart. God says, they may not deserve it, but I want you to care for the poor. I want you to be people who are generous with the poor. And listen, we were forgiven a ridiculous spiritual debt that we could never, ever, ever, ever repay. And God said, paid in full. And then we turn around and we're like, man, those poor people, they can't even, they don't deserve it. Like that makes no sense. We've been forgiven so much, you guys. And so we should be people who, who are so generous, especially when people don't deserve it. So Jubilee had these physical implications. That was point number two. But number three, listen, Jubilee has like relational implications, okay? Relational implications. It's, it's what I just said. We've been forgiven such an incredible spiritual debt. And then we can't like forgive people. Think about that. And that's every one of us, like probably right now. God has looked at all of our offenses and rebellion to him. Like our sin is honestly, you guys, it's like 
We're giving the middle finger to God. And he says, I forgive you. And then we turn around and someone slanders us and speaks poorly of us and like, we're not willing to forgive them. There's this parable of it's the unmerciful servant and he was literally just forgiven an unpayable debt. And then he turns right around and this guy owes him like equivalent of like a couple thousand dollars and he wouldn't forgive him. And you guys, like, if we are really Jesus followers, if we've really been saved, if our heart knows like, man, I deserved hell and God forgave me. When, when we're cut off on the freeway, like maybe we should remember how we've been forgiven and forgive them, right? Like when our bosses treat us unfairly or maybe like a customer treats us unfairly, sure, they were wrong. They have wronged us. We're supposed to, we need to remember the debt that we've been forgiven and forgive them. When like our friends like betray us or speak poorly of us or don't invite us, we're to remember the debt that we have owed to God and forgive them. You guys, honestly, even heavy, like when we've been abused, like literally like physically or sexually or verbally abused, even then we're to remember the debt that we have been forgiven by God and forgive those people who have abused us. Like when we've been cheated or lied to, when our parents, like when we look at our parents and their failures to not love us the way that they were supposed to love us, like, mom, I was like in developmental stages and you like didn't love me. Like we've been forgiven eternal sin from God. Maybe we can forgive our mom and dad for like, trying their best and, and not doing a perfect job. Or even maybe we can forgive them for honestly neglecting us or, or, or putting work before us or putting other things before us. We've been forgiven an eternal debt. And maybe we should be able to forgive even our parents when they've failed us. You guys, we are not truly Jesus followers if we cannot forgive someone. The Bible is actually so gnarly. Jesus says, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. That's what Jesus says. If you can't forgive one person, I will not forgive you. Because when we are truly understood, man, I had like billions of dollars of debt and I have been forgiven. That changes your heart. It actually like literally changes you. You become born again, you get this new heart. And it it may be hard, but you are able to forgive others you are able to because Jesus has forgiven you. Um, There's just some crazy stories out there. If you ever have like, honestly, if you have, if you struggle with bitterness, read these two stories, okay? Uh, There's this one called uh, The Hiding Place by I think it's Corrie Ten Boom. And she lived in, she was Dutch. Yeah, so she lived in the Netherlands during like the Nazi occupation during World War II. And um, her and her sister like hid Jews in their house. Eventually they get caught and they end up in a prisoner of war camp or not prisoner of war, but I guess some kind of concentration camp. Um, And the amount of suffering and injustice they suffer for hiding Jews. And then their heart that's been shaped by Jesus to forgive those. You, You guys like, when you read that, you will be shamed. Whatever someone has done against you, you, like, you can look to these people like, no, that's what, that's what it's like to follow Jesus. Another one is uh, this guy named Louis Zamperini, who the book's called Unbroken. He was a prisoner of war in uh, World War II. And 
it's so painful to listen to like the amount of physical abuse he suffered in his prisoner of war camps. Um, and what's crazy is he, the war ended, he came back and he didn't forgive. Like he just like harbored natural bitterness in his heart and his like life fell apart. And what's awesome is he's in LA and this young like preacher comes through named Billy Graham, who no one's heard of. And he goes and listens to Billy Graham and he gets saved. And then what this man does when he goes back to Japan to forgive these people who have abused him, you guys like, that's a picture of Jesus. Because we, we serve a God who came to lay his life down for people who are spitting and cursing and rebelling against him. And he said, Father, forgive them. That's, that's what it is to follow Jesus, to pick up our cross and to forgive people. When we understand the debt that we've been forgiven, the slavery we've been delivered from, we need to be people who can forgive. And then the last, the last point is this. The message of, Ju- of the year of Jubilee is still, it's like been transferred and handed to Christians. This is like our message. So remember this, this started with this trumpet blowing, like, hey, good news, something just happened. You guys, we as Christians like actually have like better news than the year of Jubilee. We, like, we actually have something to tell people that's better than, hey, all your debts and slavery and land has been returned to you. Like, we get to tell people that God, who used to be his enemy, came and died for you and wants you to be his son and daughter and live with him forever on a new earth and all your sin can be forgiven and you can be with him forever. Like, we have, like, news to share. And the year of Jubilee, like the the message is now ours. And we are literally called to go to our neighbors and the nations and let them know, hey, there's this offer out there. There's this news out there of Jubilee, of this release of slavery and debt. And God's gonna restore the land and make all things new and all of your sin and all of your debt can be forgiven. And you know what's crazy is people cannot be freed until they hear that message. That's actually a true statement, you guys. Listen to this. This, this on one hand should inspire us. On the other hand, it should wreck us. Romans ten fourteen says, how will they call on him in whom they've never believed? And how are they to believe in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Because faith, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You guys, right now, like your feet have, you have good news that you can carry to the nations and they will not be set free unless they hear the news. There are captives right now who will literally die and be suffer, will suffer the punishment for their sin justly for eternity unless they hear the news. That's like a real truth. That's, that's the real universe we live in. And God says, I have done this and now I am like sending out my people who've, who've been freed from slavery to go into the world and declare we have good news. And so, Jesus is, is the message we share. But let's just, one more time, let's remember that, that Jesus is the message for us and our souls too. Because you know what's crazy? There, we know from the Bible, they never, not one year of Jubilee was ever obeyed. Not one time. 
They, didn't, they couldn't pull it off for one time. They couldn't trust God for one time to obey this. We know as uh, the story progresses that the rich got richer and the poor got poorer and the land was ultimately ruined. And then they end up in exile as slaves again. That's how the story goes. And um, that's pretty much the same for us. I think we, we stand right now in the similar uh, shoes of Israel. Like we hold grudges and we aren't, I am afraid to tell my neighbors about Jesus. And I want to like keep people in my debt when they like sin against me. And, and right now let's, let's remember Jesus is our Jubilee. And he says, you, you have sinned and you are in, and you are in debt to me, but I forgive you. He looks at you right now and all your failures and he says, I forgive you and I release you from your sin and from your debt and from your slavery. And once we like take that to heart and honestly, we got to do that like every day, every day. Man, I need the grace of Jesus. I need to like proclaim that jubilee, that news over myself. And, and then as we proclaim that, like, we're called to like live that and be generous with the poor and, and be generous and care for the lost and forgive those who have sinned against us. And um, I think the last thing to listen, to, to, to just put our, our hope in is uh, Jubilee is like fully coming one day soon. And like you guys may be in a season now or if not, you will be soon where you are just like, God, I need relief. Like how much longer do I have to be enslaved to whatever it may be? How much longer do I have to be on this planet and suffering? Like life gets hard and there, is, there will be seasons where it just is like, I can't do it. I honestly, how long? And our hearts were made, were designed to like have hope and that hope like gets us through. Like your heart is literally designed to like, man, this is too hard, but here's something that I can hope in. And that is going to carry me, me through. Like, remember when we're in elementary school and school was miserable, but like Christmas break was coming and we we're like, oh, it's coming. And so you would just suffer, but like Christmas was coming. Like, you remember that? You know how that is? Or like, you knew like you were going to Disneyland or you just knew something good was coming and you could just like put your hope in it. Like your heart is designed to get through by doing that. Like this is too hard, but there's something I can put my hope in. You guys, I I had this one ridiculous season like that where I was working a job and I hated it so bad. And I was, I was so frustrated and discouraged. And, uh, God literally in that season began to take my heart and say, hey, stop putting your hope in a better job. Stop putting your hope in more money. Stop putting your hope in like whatever things were around. And he literally began to take my heart and say, hope in the fact that this life is a vapor and one day you're gonna be with me forever in a new body with no more pain and no more suffering. Like ultimate jubilee. And like my heart began like these new like pathways of hope like began to be formed. And that's like a real thing, you guys. That's a real thing. Like what if my life just falls apart and whatever dreams you have don't happen and whatever relationship you want doesn't happen or like people in your life, they, they die. Like how do you get through it? 
You guys, we're actually designed to put our hope in, in the new, like this life, this world is not our home. And there's something better coming. As a slave would have to just wait, man, the year of Jubilee, it's coming. 23 more years, it's coming. Like your heart is designed to do that. Like Jubilee, I'm gonna see Jesus again. And this pain and the suffering is not forever. It will, I will find relief when I see Jesus. So right now we're gonna just spend some time in Jesus' presence and worshiping him. And uh, I think a couple of things we have an opportunity to do. Number one, I think some of us, probably most of us need to repent in some way of not living consistently as people who've been forgiven. Like we need to repent of maybe some unforgiveness in our heart. Um, I'd even, Jesus even says, hey, do you know what? Like, don't even worship me. Go make that right. Like, go, go say sorry. Like, literally, sometimes we need to, like, actually go call somebody or actually text someone and, like, ask for forgiveness or repent. Um, I think that's some of us. For some of us, life right now is just hard. Um, let's just sit and look, look at Jesus and look forward to the day when, like, Jubilee is coming and rest is coming and we can be with him. So, I'm going to pray and let's just, let's just together just sit and seek the face of Jesus. Jesus, thank you. You bring good news to the poor, to us, to the nations, to the land. Jesus, thank you that you make all things new. Jesus, thank you that you have forgiven us. You've offered us forgiveness of our sin and our debt and slavery Holy Spirit, would you right now just do a work in our heart, point out whatever ways we're, like, we haven't been living into this. Jesus, I, I pray for those who may be in a spot of, like, just hard and suffering and just longing for relief. Jesus, would you put our, would you begin to take our hearts and, and have them hope in you? And in that final day of that new earth, when we see you face to face, and not in just a better job or a better situation. God, put our hope in you tonight. Jesus, we want to seek your face. We want to worship you now. Would you come? Would you meet with us?